wanted to start off with this picture of uh, my father and me. So I did. Um, <laughs> look at that cute little guy, you know? I'm pretty cute too, but you know, it's uh, no, I call him a little guy because uh, you know this was taken a long time ago, and now I'm about maybe a half inch taller than him. But uh, yeah, that's what I've chosen to speak on uh, for this short exhortation. I've chosen to talk about growing up, and uh, I did that because well, that's why I'm talking in the first place because you're honoring me for growing up. Um, so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but before I get started, um, I'm, I'd just like to say that I'm honored to, to speak to you guys all today. And uh, I'm a little nervous, but if you laugh at some of my jokes, it'll make me feel better. Um, and uh, if we all stay awake, we'll be all right. You know who you are. All right. So, uh, yeah, I've chosen to talk about growing up. And it's great that we're all growing up, but... The Bible is pretty clear in actually a couple of the, of the Gospels where it talks about the incident where, where Jesus and uh, the, with Jesus and the little children, right? And, uh, you know, growing up and being an adult and moving on with our lives is all great, and that's what God has in store for us. But there are a few key principles that I think we all need to remember about staying young and, uh, you know, about, about keeping that child like faith. So I'd like to read from uh, Luke chapter 18, verse 15 through 17. Um, and I'll, I'll read through it and uh, we'll go from there. So Luke chapter 15, 18, 15. Uh, it says, quote, and they, were being, uh, and they were bringing even their babies to him so that he would touch them. But when the disciples saw it, they began, to re they re began rebuking them. But Jesus called for them, saying, permit the children to come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. That's pretty deep. You know? He who will not enter the kingdom of heaven like a child will not enter it at all. You know, this is, this is some pretty heavy stuff. And uh, the kingdom of heaven belongs to such of these. And I'm, and I'm thinking if we want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, we need to learn a couple of things from kids. And I think that there are three things that we can learn from kids. And uh, I've outlined them into, you guessed it, three points. Uh, so my first point is that kids don't care what other people think. And you can move to the next slide if you'd like. And... Uh, Case in point, uh, kids don't care what other people think, and there's a certain innocence about kids, and, and there's a, a certain purity that kids all have. You know, they don't care if they're covered in spaghetti. Um, this kid was left alone for a little bit too long. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's something that we have to keep in mind because this is something that I've learned throughout this last year or so of my life. Um, some of you may know I'm involved in competitive speech and debate, and I go around uh, the country and compete in tournaments, and I'm actually leaving for my last national competition um, tomorrow. So, uh, and this is, the, this is the cream of the crop national competition. And last year, 
was my junior year, and I was very, very focused on this competition for the sole purpose of fitting in. And I realized that going into my senior year because all of the kids who I were competing against and who I had made friends with, a lot of them graduated last year. And then this year, I come back into it, and I was like, why am I doing this anymore? I didn't know why I was competitively speaking about Christ and, and things like that. The group that I'm a part of is called NCFCA, the National Christian Forensics and Communications Association. And their entire goal is to bring up people who can you know, communicate effectively in a manner that glorifies God. And throughout my entire junior, sophomore, freshman, and even eighth grade year, I had completely missed that. Uh, I was only competing you know, to fit in with other kids who were you know, far better than me. And I, I wanted to be like them so that I could fit in with that crowd. And when they all graduated, I actually got kind of depressed because I didn't know what my purpose in life was anymore. And so kids, you know, they have this purity about them and they don't care what other people think. You know, we have to remember where we're getting our validation from. And kids know that they don't get their validation from looking pretty. You know, I put on this suit today because I wanted to look nice for all of you. And, you know, that's not a bad thing, but that shouldn't be our only goal in life. We need to keep pure and, and, and keep in mind that it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It only matters what God thinks. That's the first principle, that we need to, you know, not care what other people think. And if we're going to do, you know, door-to-door, -door, uh, you know, going around trying to get people to come to VBS, I mean, we shouldn't be ashamed about that. We shouldn't be nervous about going up to people and saying, hey, do you have any kids that could come to VBS? Or saying, hey, do you want to come to church on Sunday? We can't care what other people think because ultimately this 80 years that we have on life doesn't, uh, in life doesn't really matter at all. It's all about the next step. So that's the first principle, that, that we, we need to not care what other people think. The second thing that kids do that I think all of us could do as well is that kids do what they're told. Kids do what they're told, uh, at least if raised properly, they'll do what they're told. Um, and so, you know, a as a kid, I would run everywhere I went, I even in the house. I, I would run everywhere. And, you know, uh, if my dad asked me to go get him a soda or something like that, I'd jump to it and, and, and go do this. But I remember one time when my brother and my older sister, they're both here, uh, and I were all sitting in the living room. And I don't know if they remember this story at all, but I do. Um, my mom asked us all to get up and go clean our rooms because they were all a mess. And all three of us hesitated. All three of us didn't do what we were told right away, and my dad snapped at us. And, and he was yelling and saying, that hesitation is hints of rebellion. And so as children of God, we have to be thinking about what God has in store for us and what God is telling us to do. And that's something, again, that I've learned in this last year, looking at colleges and, and, and things like that. Where am I going in life? And I had to not only learn to follow God's direction, but listen for God's direction as well. And once you hear that direction, then you have to be ready and able to go and do it. You can't hesitate because you minute, the minute you hesitate, you know, a, a moment could be lost forever. So we need to be listening for what God has in store for us. And we need to be doing what our Heavenly Father tells us to do, just like children do with their earthly fathers. They do what they're told. And we need to do what we're told as well.
the third and final principle, and I think this is uh, uh, the main thing that a lot of people draw from this, uh, these three verses that I read, is that kids have crazy strong faith. And that's, you know, that's, it's insane. <laughs> um, I, I taught Sunday, or my mom, excuse me, my mom taught Sunday school, and I, I assist her sometimes. And to see these kids who can grasp concepts that I can't even grasp because I want to overthink it. And, you know, we're talking about the Trinity. And, you know, it's impossible for us to understand that, you know, uh, that God can be three persons in one but totally separate in every way. And, you know, be able to rectify that in our minds. But kids, they don't care. They they just accept it. And they they live on that faith. And uh, another point about kids' faith is that, you know, they don't know, they don't understand the economy. They don't understand where their parents' money comes from. And yet they don't question where the next meal is going to come from. In the same way, we have to be faithful that God is going to provide for us. And that, you know, we may not understand his ways now, but we know that he has a plan. And we know that he's always going to have our back. We don't need to question where our food is going to come from. We don't need to question anything like that because our Heavenly Father is providing for us, just like our earthly fathers provide for our children. So that's the third principle. And I'd like to leave you uh, with a story of my father and I. And uh, it, was, it was quite a while ago. I think I was around seven years old. And uh, it was, uh, uh, my brother had this dirt bike, and we were at my grandma's house. And, uh, you know, we were dirt biking, and I had like a four-wheeler and, and things like that. Well, I wanted to try my brother's dirt bike, so my dad said okay. And uh, I got all suited up in like the plastic armor and, and things like that and, you know, put my helmet on. I was like a little bobblehead walking around. But, uh, <laughs> and, you know, I get on the, I get on the dirt bike, and my, and my dad puts it in the first gear, and he says okay. Now, when you start going, don't pull the throttle all the way, right? You know, ease into it. Well, as a seven-year-old boy, I, well, shoot, I was, <laughs> was going to rip it anyways. Uh, so that's what I did. And the, the, the dirt bike popped out from under me, and my dad saw it coming, and he scooped me off the bike before I even knew what happened. And uh, this, I think, is a, is a perfect picture of what our Heavenly Father does for us. You know, that dirt bike, in this case, it could be life, you know? All five of us graduates are, are about to get on that motorcycle and are about to drive away off into the sunset, you know, onto our new destinations. But life can be pretty rough sometimes. And life can jolt us around. And we have to remember that God, he does have our back. And he's ready to swoop us off just like my dad was ready to swoop, up, uh, was ready to swoop in and, and catch my, my kid-year-old self, you know, uh, <laughs> about to go 100 miles an hour on a dirt bike. So... Yeah, I think that uh, in the end, we just need to trust that, that, yes, we're all growing up. And I think even adults are still growing up constantly and getting wiser. But we still have to remember those kid principles that, you know, we need to not care what other people think. We need to do what we're told. And finally, we need to have crazy strong faith that God is going to come through for us in the end. Thank you so much. Well, good morning. Graduates, uh, congratulations again. Uh, huge merit uh, to all of you and for all of your accomplishments. I know it was a struggle for me 
especially junior year when you would find yourself at 2 a.m. asleep on the floor. Um, I've heard similar stories from the rest of you. But um, today I have chosen uh, from Samuel, and he's personally one of my favorite uh, biblical characters. And I think uh, his youth paints a great picture and example for how we should uh, reflect back in the younger youth in the room, how they should look towards um, their next years in high school and middle school and uh, beyond that, and how we can continue to reflect back on our youth um, and look to the future as we continue to grow in our faith and all our ways. So would you please open to First Samuel and uh, reading from chapter 1. They had fun with the names in this first verse. Now, there was a certain man from Raphim Zophim, from the hill country of Ephraim. And his name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tahu, the son of Zuf, an Ephraimite. Oh, boy. <laughs> he had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the other one was uh, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from the city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord there. When the day came when that Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. It happened year after year, as often as she went to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her. So she wept and would not eat. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat, and why is your heart sad? Am I not, am I not better to you than ten sons? Real sympathetic type. Then, then Hannah rose after eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the, by the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She, greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come to his head. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard, so Eli thought she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away your wine from you. But Hannah replied, No, my Lord. I am a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken until now of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. She said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they, then they arose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and returned back to the house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah and his wife. The Lord remembered her. It came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked him of the Lord. So a general story of Samuel is he goes on from there, and Hannah gives him to the Lord, and he stays with uh, Eli at the church there. And he's raised there and called upon by the Lord, and he eventually uh, sends to the uh, 
role of prophet for the land and for the people of God and the voice of him in that time. And so throughout my study of Samuel and his journey from youth um, prior to and Hannah's preparation for him and prayer for him unto his eventual ascension to his role in Israel, uh, there were five qualities that really stuck out to me about him and um, just how we as youth uh, should aspire to be like him and as adults should reflect to be like both Samuel and Hannah. So this first one really attains more to the adults, but uh, that of proper foundation. And uh, Hannah is perhaps one of the most prominent examples of what a strong mother and strong Christian woman looks like within the Bible. Um, she is always, whenever I think of strong Christian women, she is always top of my list in reference to the Bible and biblical characters. And the thing to note about Hannah's faith, I believe, is found in verse is 18 and 19, where it reads once again, she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went away and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they arose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah's wife, and the Lord remembered her. Uh, more so throughout that verse is the fact that there was immediate thanksgiving without any sign of provision. And just a testament to Hannah and both Elkanah's faith is that they were willing to, they didn't put limits on God or the possibility of his working. Um, as with Gideon, they didn't have to ask for signs, you know, uh, continually over and over. They, it was immediate faith. And I think that's something that we lose a lot in the church nowadays is um, we're willing to test God and wait out for answers, but more so we should rely by faith and the fact that he will provide for us and that ultimately uh, the good of us and for his kingdom is uh, in his favor and his will. So, um, and the fact of the matter is that they went together. Um, it wasn't just Hannah. It wasn't just Elkanah. They went together, and as a marriage should be, they went, you know, together, and they prayed for the child as um, proper parentage before even having one. And uh, again, in First Samuel, uh, verses 27 through 28, uh, down more, once um, Samuel has been uh, born, they say, for the, when Hannah dedicates him, she says, for this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. He is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And this is really a testament to the, her selflessness as a mother and her ultimate love and how she doesn't, her love isn't selfish in the fact that she contains Samuel from his ultimate goal, but she lets him go free as many parents in this room are having to do with their children for college. She let him go free because, free because she knows that the Lord was her ultimate love and that she had to give Samuel over to him. And so a strong foundation was built for Samuel uh, to follow in the ways of Christ and a standard to shoot for in the terms of faithfulness as well. Uh, this sort of diligence and activism will become crucial not only Samuel, uh, but on a larger scale, all virtues that all Christians should strive for. Uh, so my second point that stuck out to me was that uh, Samuel was a servant of God. Um, and noted within Hannah's prayer, she was a servant as well, uh, where she repetitively states three times, um, starting in verse 11, she says, She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come to his head. And we get the point that she's a maidservant. She doesn't have to say it three times, but it's important that we note that because of just her dedication uh, to Samuel and ultimately to God and giving herself over freely. Um, and so 
Um, throughout chapter 2, we learn about the destructive path of Eli's son, who would become like a father to Samuel as he stayed in the church, uh, Hophni and Phinehas. Um, in a literary sense, uh, these characters serve as fo foils for Samuel, and they exemplify the characteristics about him uh, through their misdeeds. Um, bit of irony. But through their disobedience, Samuel's obedience is really exemplified as he is shown continually to be dedicated to the church and ultimately to God and his cause. Um, furthermore, this is spelled out when Samuel is called out by God, first believing it to be Eli, um, but then he clarifies the situation in chapter 3 um, for him and tells him to wait one more time for God's calling. You know, here I am, here I am. Um, but his response changes upon acknowledgement that it's God who is calling him, going from here I am to speak for your servant is listening in verse 10. And it's incredible to note that he was a, like a son and he was a servant in a sense to Eli, but his ultimate master is God, and that is, you know, who he professes his duty and his servitude to. Um, Samuel was a servant of God, and you know, if you are a child of God, you should desire to be a servant of God. Uh, this admittance of humility is not easy to realize, but um, how one can live without it and still expect to be told, well done, good and faithful servant. So that should be our ultimate reward is to strive for servitude and not to be humiliated or discouraged by the fact that we are serving someone higher, but to be honored. Um, by that uh, unique opportunity we have as children of God. Um, something that really caught my attention was in uh, chapter 3, uh, Samuel didn't have his eyes open to the Lord before he was called out by God. And um, found in verses uh, 3, verse 6 through 8, it reads, The Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call you, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time, and he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. Um, verse 7 is really kind of peculiar, in my opinion. Um, the fact that Samuel had no knowledge or really relationship with God prior to um, this evening, but it, um, there's a lot of truth to it. And how one can grow up in the church and not really know God until they are older. Um, what's remarkable about Samuel is that, according to the text, he did not know God and yet remained wholly faithful to him, despite the example that Hophni and Phinehas were setting, uh, people he probably looked to as brothers, in a sense. And just a, a testament to his ability and faithfulness and trust, um, both in his mother's promise and devotion to him and God, as well as um, Eli. And how easy would have been if you put yourself in Samuel's shoes, um, his, there may have been a desire for him to fit in and uh, start running with the wrong crowd and um, with Hophni and Phinehas as they were taking from the offering and other um, sinful acts against Israel and for the people. And yet, before he had a relationship with God, the Lord's discernment was pressed heavily upon his heart. Uh, parents, I would ask you to pray for your children for this uh, before they really begin to know God and children to discern for that and begin looking for that and be aware of um, you know, your relationship and when you really begin to understand um, the fullness of God's provision. Um, fourth point I found was that Samuel didn't have a choice and yet he didn't rebel and this ties into the other ones as well is that Samuel was just dropped in the church. <laughs> he, um, you know, he, once he was fully weaned and of age where he could begin to take care of himself. Hannah just 
sat him down at the church and would visit him yearly um, with Elkanah um, as they would come for their um, worship and sacrifice. And, you know, once again, you have to dig in the text and put yourself in Samuel's shoes, you know. How odd would that be to just be taken from your home, your mother and your father, and just sat down at church and having to listen to the dogma, and but understanding it and beginning to learn and love God. Um, and again, going back to Hophni and Phinehas, like them, he was raised in the church, but unlike them, he did not rebel. He did not grow bitter or jealous and how easy it would have been for him to feel abandoned, um, you know, even before knowing God. And um, after since, I think he really felt that, um, you know, desire to be with him and to not know that he was abandoned. Um, but that, you know, he remained faithful. And uh, youth, it's encouraging to look to Samuel and to be faithful um, for what you have been given, not to think of what you don't have, that you don't have, you know, um, something larger, something better, something that, you know, everything else is speaking, not in a material sense, but in a spiritual sense. And, um, you know, maybe you don't have the best family, you know, maybe you don't have the best church, the best school, but making the best of what you have and knowing that God is always there for you, that he is your ultimate uh, solitude and strength place. And finally, uh, that he continued to follow God in a culture that did not. Um, I don't have to tell you that culture is awry, all you have to do is look at Yahoo, but um, Samuel's culture was awry too. And more so, it really hit home for him with the example set by Phineas and Hophni, and I must assume that he would look in, look towards them uh, quite a bit as he was in the church, and they were as well as they were priests, uh, albeit bad ones, but <laughs> that he um, had to understand that that was wrong, and once again, that discernment that parents should be praying for and, and youth should be aware of and asking for themselves. Um, and so, worse still, he had to watch Eli do nothing. Um, Eli... There's a strong, if you look over the text, uh, chapters 1 through 7, there's a strong uh, theme of Eli's blindness, or more so his turn, well, his physical blindness, but also his looking the other way with Hophni and Phinehas. He chose to give empty threats towards them and um, not really convict them or um, address the issue one-on-one -on -one as a father should. But um, Samuel didn't grow bitter towards Eli. He didn't lash out at God or anyone that they were getting away with what was happening, which can easily happen um, within um, any sort of Christian body. As a Christian, you may look to people who are getting away with things, and that may stir bitterness. But the important thing is to not be bitter about the situation, youth, and especially as you are in school in situations such as that, is to not be bitter towards those people, but to have a desire um, of love to help them and also pray that God addresses the issue where it may not be your place unless he presses that upon you. So Samuel was counterculture, um, making God his mandate, and he was blessed for it. And this is really the um, kind of final address of blessing, is that if youth, I encourage you and implore you to really dig into your faith over these next years. And there are so many great leaders in this church with Adam, um, Tony, and many more I can't even name. There are just countless strong figures in this church that are willing to help you and willing to pray for you who are sincere. And you don't feel like you have to rely on yourself to fix those situations because, frankly, you can't. Um, you have to go to God and you have to go to fellowship for those situations if you want to truly escape them. And so, I just, youth, I encourage you, um, 
whether it be this church, whether it be your school, um, whether it be your home life or wherever, or whether it is simply your fellowship with God, I encourage you to be sincere and to be faithful in whatever you believe. Um, and if it is God to truly seek after that endlessly because you will find reward and you will find merit and blessing with that, even if it doesn't come materialistically, you aren't going to be blessed with money, uh, so to speak, but you will be blessed with a renewal of your heart and a joyful spirit, which is the ultimate reward that money cannot buy. Um, so look to Samuel Youth, parents look to Hannah, and all together I think we can look to the pair of uh, these um, mother and son and how they uh, had such a strong faith in God even when they were given evidence um, not to fully support it. So uh, thank you.